turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want us to look at um, a message that God put in my heart really about a month or so ago, this passage from 1 Peter chapter 5, and I just want to, is really kind of the first message is the, as your pastor elder, uh, I want us to, uh, and yes, yeah, Stan, we're going to read it. I have it on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, and we can follow along. But uh, I just wanted to uh, begin by setting out what the Word says about shepherding God's flock. Many of this is not going to be new. Uh, this is a literate church in the Word, but it would be helpful to me as we begin our journey together and talk about what does God's Word say about shepherding his flock. And so if you look with me, First Peter, I'll read it. You can follow along. We may have different versions, but the ESV is what I use. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray before we're seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that is a sure standard, God, that we can guide our lives by. God, I pray that today, above all else, that you would be honored. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Giving attention to God's word. Just to put this in a little uh, context, Peter is writing... Uh, to various churches. If you were to look over in verse 1, uh, and uh, you'd see that he's writing to several churches and giving them as instruction concerning the shepherding, concerning the pastoring. I'll use pastor, shepherd, elder interchangeably here. And when we talk about shepherds, you know, I, I thought, you know, somebody comes in, they're not familiar with the church, they're going to think this is a 4-H meeting because we're talking about sheep, and shepherding, and they were thinking, what, where, where did I come in at? Uh, but the Bible it was an uh, agrarian culture where uh, they were used to imagery of, of cattle and sheep, and a sower went out to sow seed. They were used to those illustrations. And so Peter picks up on this because the shepherd was the picture that Jesus and the Bible uses to talk about the one who oversees by God's hand and by God's authority the flock, and that's the elders, the shepherds, and that's plural, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, sheep, as, you, uh, as we said last week when uh, we were together, that uh, sheep really by nature need to be led. They don't have a lot of natural built-in instincts like other animals do. If they get lost, they won't naturally, instinctively find their way back home. They need somebody to lead them. If the shepherd is not feeding them and giving them a specific diet of food, they'll just eat anything. They won't be able to discern between the good and the bad. They'll just eat whatever. And uh, so sheep are really a very vivid picture of us. We need the leadership. We need the leadership 
God's leadership. In that passage that I still have the uh, latter part there about the chief shepherd. I'm not the chief shepherd. There's only one chief shepherd, and that's Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the chief shepherd of his flock and his people. And so Peter, giving instruction to the churches that God had him in leadership over, he addresses these individuals and addresses them writing to the elders of the church. And so this morning in our time together, I want us to look at uh, shepherding God's church and looking at four specific ways that we biblically, or Peter helps us to biblically identify what a shepherd is. How do you identify the shepherd? And we're just pulling these briefly out of this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. And the first is, a shepherd is known by who he follows. Verse 1 of chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 is where we're going we're gonna to stay at. And notice that what Peter says, he addresses himself as a fellow elder, the ESV says. Uh, the New Living Translation says, I too am an elder. What's the point there? It means that the shepherd elders must first and foremost be followers of Jesus themselves. If they're not under the leadership of the chief shepherd, if they're not under the leadership of the, the one who's over the church, and this is somehow a career move or a job move, or this is something they've been pulled into, but they're not saved, and this may shock you and it may not, but listen, there are some pastor leaders who are not believers. Because, you know, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I know that they would not publicly and from the pulpit preach and endorse things that are contrary to the Word of God, that are contrary to what even Jesus would, would say. And so it's contradictory. How many of you realize the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you into some truth or all truth? All truth. So that tells me that if the Spirit is leading a church into error, it can't be the Holy Spirit. It may be another kind of spirit. But there are leaders and uh, that, that do not know Christ, but Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. He's one among them. He's not, uh, even though he has a unique apostolic role as an apostle, he recognizes that he himself is a recipient of the grace of God. Uh, elder, shepherd, leader must first and foremost be a partaker of the grace of God. We won't take time to look at it, but 1 Timothy uh, 3 and Titus 1, when it talks about the qualifications of an elder, makes that pretty clear. In other words, that they can't be, they must be a level of maturity. In other words, when you read those things, it's reading someone who walks and knows God. It's, it's someone who themselves is under the shepherding hand of Christ themselves. Talks about being self-controlled, managing their household, uh, apt to teach, not a novice, all those things that uh, they themselves are people who are being led by the shepherd. Peter recognized that he first and foremost was a follower of Christ. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. Paul when he gave his testimony and shared, he identified himself in 1 Timothy 1, and he said, I'm, a chief of, I'm the chief of sinners. You want a list of sinners? I'm at the top of the list. But he says, I have received 
mercy. He recognizes that, you know what? He's only special because of who he's identified with. He's only special because of who he belongs to and whose authority he's under. Now, don't miss this, and you know this, so this is not necessarily new, but it's very important to remind ourselves that Peter addresses elders, which is in the plural. That's the biblical model of the New Testament church, a plurality of elders, a plurality of qualified elders. What qualifies them? We're qualified of what the biblical qualifications are. And there's a reason, there's several reasons why I believe the Holy Spirit in his uh, wisdom established this plurality of elders in the New Testament church. One is to protect the church from error. If you have one guy leading and he takes the church off in left field doctrinally, that's not good. That's dangerous. It's unhealthy. And so a plurality of leadership. Remember this scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and 32, let two or three prophets speak. Others pass judgment, but the prophets are subject to the other prophets. There's no lone rangers in the New Testament church. We're all accountable one to another, and elders are accountable to each other and are under the authority of the chief shepherd. There's another reason, not only to protect error, but to prevent domination. Listen, it doesn't matter what church, denomination, group, whatever, there is a tendency in some groups to be a personality cult where they are built around a personality. There's a significant church, I say significant only by their numbers, uh, in the northeast in the Seattle area. The pastor there has written tons of books and media, and they have a church probably about six, eight, ten thousand 10,000 that meets over the weekends, have probably 15 uh, churches all over that region, and they have in the past year and a half imploded. Imploded. The pastor has to step down, and it wasn't for any moral issues in the sense of, you know, adultery, he was stealing money, but it was for those things that caught up in the sense of arrogance and haughtiness, and he became a dominating personality in that group, and what happened is when you have 20 pastors resign on staff, that should be a flag to tell you something's not right. Hello? And this church, this guy... Who he's still saved, he still loves Jesus, and I believe that he'll do great things in the future. But this was a telling example. I remember back in the 80s, in uh, I think it was Charisma Magazine, or maybe it was another one, they profiled 10 mega churches in America. Uh, about five or six of them were, maybe five of them were in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Four of those five that they profiled do not even exist today. And we're talking about churches, five, six, eight thousand. If I rattled off names, you may have heard some of them. What's the point? The plurality of leadership helps the church. Now, you could have three nutcases or three or four nutcases doing. So, again, unless you're submitted to the church, it doesn't, just because you have two or three, you can have two or three nuts running the place, right? So that doesn't ensure anything because you still got to be submitted to the Spirit of God in the church, right? That's why you've got to be a literate, biblically learning people. Remember Paul, when he was uh, talked about the Bereans, he commended them because those Berean believers 
verified everything that he taught with the Word of God. How can you do that if you're not in the Word of God? You hold me accountable to the Word of God. I say something wacky, man, you, you, you call me on it, okay? You, 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 that's your responsibility. This isn't a one-man operation. We are all in this in the kingdom together. Can you say amen to that? All right, so it helps protect against error, against uh, personality dominating, and also it helps to perpetuate leadership, meaning this, that if some churches, that because everything is built around one person, and if something happens to that person and there's no leaders in place, guess what happens? Things fall apart. What does the Bible say? That you, you, you know, the enemy wants to target the shepherd in order to scatter... Yeah, so it helps against error, domination, helps to perpetuate leadership. So a shepherd is known by who he follows. There's a second, is a shepherd is known by the way he functions. Look at verse 2 and 3 of our passage in 1 Peter 5. Peter says in verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is a divine task that God has given to elders, shepherds, pastors. It's a divine task. It's not just, you know, I really kind of have, you know, um, really can't do anything else. I've tried a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, you know, that didn't work out. That uh, Amway uh, thing I got into, that didn't work out. And I'm not knocking Amway. See, I have, I have to be real sensitive of my humor because everybody will, oh, he hates Amway. That's how I, feel. That's how I paid for three kids through college. I'm like, listen, I'll buy Amway. I'm not against it. That's just what pops in my head. I mean, whatever it is. And you think, you know what I think I'll do? That pastoring looks pretty good. You go golfing. You hang out at Starbucks. You, you know, you get to just sleep in till 11 and do kind of piddle around. And, and uh, I think I'll try that. That is not what this is about. This is a divine task. Whether you are a paid elder as I am or you are a uh, non-paid elder. Okay? You are an elder shepherd given a divine task, and this, this uh, way he functions speaks of an overall demeanor or attitude that the shepherd must have as he fulfills God's command. Notice it's an attitude that this, first of all, is the flock of God. This is the flock of God. That's what he says there. This is God's people. I'm never comfortable when I hear another pastor say, well, my people this, and my people that, and my people... Listen, pal, they're not your people. They don't belong to you. They belong to him. Now, I'm not saying if they say that or I say it, I'm, but there is a mentality that, look, I am just here as a servant under the chief shepherd these people belong to him. You don't belong to make me feel good about myself and give me a boost by being here and propping me up. That's not where you're here. That's the reason I've, I've seen some pastors and I have been around enough to see a lot of folks 
that sometimes they'll get mean when the people don't respond the way they think they should respond. You don't exist to make me feel good about myself. We all exist to serve Jesus together and walk with Him and grow with Him. And if I'm starting to get mean, take that shepherd's crook and pull me off the stage and give me a break or something. I remember when my son Timothy, you'll meet him. They all want to come down here all of a sudden. Isn't that something? It gets colder up north. And, Dad, hey, I could come down there and help you unpack your books. And, uh, and uh, they all want to come down here. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, why didn't you come down here when I was unpa- we were unpacking that, that truck? That's when I needed you. Uh, but I remember when he was little, his mom would say, I think Timothy needs some dad time. He's starting to get mean, meaning he's hitting his brother and picking on him or whatever. Look, the, the elder has, a, has several functions here. Look at them. They're all in the passage there. One function has to do that he must be responsible. Responsible. There's a responsibleness Uh, to the elder's function. It says he must exercise oversight. The Greek word there, episkopeo, means to have scope over. This is oversight. You remember what the writer of Hebrews says, 13, 17, that they watch out for your souls and the elders must give an account. There's a scope. There's an oversight to God's flock, okay? Another function in verse 3, it says to be examples to the flock. Not only they must be responsible, but they must be real. Be transparent. Listen, I'll just say things and just get it out of my system. I don't like haughtiness with anybody, especially people called to the ministry. I don't need special water. I don't need a special parking place. I don't need special catering. I, look, if you serve me, I'll serve you. You love me, I'll love you. You take this parking place. You know, I've been in some churches. In fact, I remember preaching in one church a few years back, and you know what I'm going to say because I always have to throw it in. And I knew when I walked in there that this was going to be a different place. And it just, they just, you ever been in some churches that just kind of have a lot of weird things? They just, weird. And they introduced me to somebody, and this is one of those, listen, I, my mother said that when I was born, she was speaking in tongues. So you're not going to get any more charismatic or Pentecostal than what I... So when I talk about them, i got a right to talk about them because I've been among them and I still am a, a spirit-filled, believing... You know? So if I make comments, it's because I feel like I've earned the right. They're my family, all right? But, they entered, so the, but charismatics, we've got some weird things. We do weird stuff. And so they introduced me to this guy and they said, well, this is going to be Frank or whatever his name is. Not Frank, but another Frank. Another Frank. Not that Frank. Um, And he's going to be your armor bearer. I'm thinking, all right, this is down in Missouri. This must be a violent place if I get an armor bearer when I get to preach, right? And I'm like, you know, okay. And I kind of knew, I kind of, look, I know what, I knew kind of what was going on, but I thought, well, he was a real, it must have been, they must have, you know, you ever seen those guys around Louis Farrakhan? And they're always standing behind him with the bow ties or whatever. This guy stood about right over here the whole time when I was preaching. And I thought, is somebody going to rush me with a knife or, you know, whatever? And I just kind of went with it. You know, I'm easy going. I kind of went with it. But but it was a church that was used to kind of making the pastor like a little mini pope. That's unhealthy. I don't want that to be a part 
of our journey together. I want us to love and honor each other. And so when he says in verse 3, be examples, and I said, not only is he responsible exercising oversight, but I use the word being real because he's got to be the, the leader, the elder shepherd. Shepherds must be transparent, be authentic. And it means that it's okay for the elders to have friends. Jesus had friends. And they weren't always the other 12. The, he, the nine, a lot of times, he just kind of left behind. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, he only took who? Peter, James, and John. Now, I don't know what he told to the other guys that they're going to go out and get some coffee and we'll be back. And, but he left them behind. And I just kind of always have this in my mind like, man, I am so, I, I got to get with my pals. I need to get with my friends. But there is this mentality. Here's the point. There is a mentality that has crept into a kind of a professionalism in the ministry that says that a pastor must stay separate from his people. Don't make friends. Don't get close. And then we wonder why pastors are dropping like flies, either out of depression or moral issues. Why? Because they refuse to allow somebody close to them that they can be transparent. And that's dangerous. That's unhealthy. Have I always been transparent? No. Because I was too insecure to be transparent. But over the years, I've learned that, you know what? It's just what I am. <laughs> By the grace of God. Now, you probably will never go to too many churches where you'll hear a reference to Batman in a theological way. But this is your day. This is your day. And it was the first Batman. The original Batman, Michael Keaton Batman, all right? With Jack Nicholson. Well, I'm talking about Bruce Ward. That, I, yeah, but I, he never, okay, I don't remember much. I remember watching it, but, but yeah, there's a scene when the Joker, just, just go with me on this, okay? <laughs> just suspend your theological convictions for a moment and just go with me. There's a scene when... Uh, Jack Nicholson, they tried to kill him, and you know, he comes back in his face because he fell in that acid and he's all mangled, and he comes back as Joker, and he comes into that board meeting where it was the guys that tried to kill him, and he surprises them, and he takes care of business. But he says a wonderful phrase that, believe it or not, yes, God speaks to me through movies. And he says, you know what? I've been dead once, and it's kind of liberating. <laughs> Think about that. Think about it. When you've died, it liberates you. When you've died to self, and gosh, no, I'm still I'm not there. But when you've been kicked around and taken down and all that, you know what? There ain't too much anybody can do, say, that's going to ruin your day. You're going to have to do better than that. Because the enemy has tried to knock me out too many times. There was a point when after I went through the pain of divorce, almost uh, 20 years of marriage, and people say, why well, did you worry? I wasn't tempted to go get drunk. I wasn't tempted to do crazy stuff. You know why? Because down deep inside, I'd come too far with my God 
to know that he will work all things together for good. That I know that what man means for evil, God will use for good. Sometimes and most of the time that happens and we get to see it. But sometimes it may be we see it from the other side and our children could say what man meant for evil, God intended for good. God is a faithful God and we should never forget that. But we, it's okay to be real. John Piper had a, has a great book I love on pastoring and it's titled Brothers. We are not professionals. And his point is we're servants. We're shepherds. Titles. Separateness. I'm doing good on time, so you can calm down. All right, go to Acts 20. I want to show you something really good there. Normally, I won't have you bouncing around in Scripture. I like to kind of just stay with one passage, and, but we'll kind of figure all that as we go on. But go to Acts 20. And the context is the Apostle Paul, he's been almost maybe about three years or so in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians that he wrote. And he's with these Ephesian elders. And he is giving, he's saying farewell. He's got to move on. The Spirit of the Lord's directing him to move on and go. And, but he says some really great stuff. And I want you to, we're still talking about being real, being examples to the flock. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and I know them. That speaks of relationship. Hello? Look with me at 20, Acts 20 verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called, this is Paul, Luke is writing Acts, giving this account. So Luke says, now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders, you see it, plural, of the church to come to him. He couldn't get to them, so they were going to meet him out at the Cracker Barrel there. All right. And when they came to him, he said to them, okay, this is what he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How, look at this, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await for me. But I do not account my life of anything or any value not as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I, may re that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He preached the word, not pet peeves and little things he was interested in. 
Look at verse 28. He's talking to elders now. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not a denomination, not a group of people. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God who makes leaders, who makes overseers. And what are they for? To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, yourselves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31. Therefore, elders, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every, that, that I admonished everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33, he's being transparent. This is what I mean by being real. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You're, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own necessities to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. Prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Why did I read that? Because that is just such a real guy. He says, look, you, I've lived among you three years. You see me good, bad, and ugly. You see me through ups and downs. And you know that I wasn't playing a game on you. You know that I was, I lived, I was transparent, I was real among you. And Paul said, that's how we live together. Another function, just to wrap this point up, in the way that an elder functions is not only being responsible, exercising oversight, being real examples to the flock. But look at verse 3. Not only must be responsible, real, but also restrained. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge. In 3 John 9 and 10, there's a character that John identifies publicly by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is characterized as someone who is oppressive because he demands always being first. He wants to be the first. And if you don't cater to Diotrephes, then he will get the word out on Facebook and the Internet, and he'll make your life heck. Can we say heck here? He'll make your life miserable because he wants to be first. Now, let's step back. We all like to be first. And if we say we don't, then we need to get open that confessional booth that's back here and get a pretty... No. We like... Listen, if you're standing in line to the Leonard Skinner reunion concert and somebody comes out of the way and says, Mrs. Campbell, Mr. Campbell, would you please come this way? Let me tell you something. You're not going to say, oh, no, 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 that's all right. I'll stay back here. No, you like that. That feels good, doesn't it? Right? Of course we like to be first. It's called pride. Do I struggle with it? Yep. You bet. Do you struggle with it? Yep. You bet. I don't know. You know how I know? Because all ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
So let's make sure we recognize that this is a sinfulness that we all have a propensity to do. It's that arrogance, intimidation. Peter says we must be, leaders must be restrained, not domineering over those in your charge. Just because someone has strong opinions does not mean they're domineering. Let me make that clear. Just because they preach and teach and lead and have strong views and opinions on matters that matter does not mean they are a domineering or they're doing something sinful. Okay? I don't think any of us want to kind of just weak, well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and the Bible said, but I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? It's like, you know, you go into a... a you know, I love small groups, and I know one time there were small groups, and hopefully we'll develop more of those, because I think those are where relationships are really built. They're good for the church. They're healthy. Remember what it said? Paul went from house to house, you know? Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that drives me crazy is being in a small group where they read a verse and said, all right, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. All right, now, wh what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Okay, what does that mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you or me or what. It matters what it means. See, it isn't pulling, you know, rabbits out of the hat in the group. It's, it's saying, what does God, you know, and how you learn that, you got to get into the book. You got to spend time. You got to turn Jerry Springer and Maury off during the day and get into the word. Now, I know that's not an issue here. That's an Illinois thing. But um, so it must be restrained, okay? I, I, I love the story. I, I couldn't help it. Remember, it's in Matthew 20. Read it later, you know it. Remember when James and John, the mother of James and John, pulled Jesus and said, Hey, when you come into your kingdom, my boys are good boys. And would you put one on the right and one on the left? These were the same guys that wanted to press the nuclear button when somebody didn't. Remember, they were the ones that wanted fire to be called down from heaven because some group didn't receive Jesus. Aren't you glad they're not around the throne when you need grace? Do you want, you know, James and John to hear your cry of mercy? Nah, let's hit that red button and waste them. No, Jesus rejected that. But it brings to that mentality an unhealthy ambition. There is a godly ambition. The Bible says that even anyone who desires to be an overseer, an elder, that's a what? That's a good thing. Having ambition and desire in your workplace is not bad. Did you want to be, that's, a, that's a characteristic of excellence. But we're talking about negative things, and he must be restrained, not domineering over those in your charge. All right. Those were the long ones. Thirdly, a shepherd is known by what he feeds. Oh, my goodness. We could talk a lot about this, but we won't. But an elder, even though it's not directly stated in the text, it's certainly implied because one of the jobs and roles of the shepherds and the elders of the church is they must feed the flock. That's what... You know, that's, if you're going to be a shepherd and you're going to have sheep and you're going to take care of them, you've got to feed them. You've got you to gotta take care of them. I mean, my dogs let me know. They're, they're my cattle. I mean, they let me know when they're hungry. And you've got to feed them. You've got to take care of them. The shepherd's role involves 
feeding the flock. I referred to the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that an elder must be apt, I think the King James says, apt to teach. That implies he's apt to learn. Okay? It's not a qualification for a deacon, but for a shepherd elder, they must be able to open the word and communicate that. Does that mean that it has to be from the pulpit? Does it mean, I, I think there's some flexibility there. It can be one-on-one -on -one in counseling, but they must, the point is, is that the elder shepherds must know the Bible, must know the word of God in order to be able to guide and feed properly God's flock and God's people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, he said, look, we didn't come to you in words of eloquence and, and, and manipulative words, but we came to you in words that had the power of the Holy Spirit behind them. When I, when, I need a, when I need counsel, I need somebody that not only knows the word, but I don't need intellectualism. I need somebody that knows the word and spirit. Word and spirit. Together, the spirit applying the word of God. Elders have that responsibility. And, you, and, and Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Remember when Peter, when he met Jesus in John 21, and it was after the resurrection, and he's out going back to doing what he was doing, fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, and he's making breakfast. Remember that? And Peter, remember Peter? He, he thought he had blown it. He, Jesus said, you're going to deny me, deny me three times, and what did he do? He denied him three times. But you know, sometimes we give Peter a hard time because I don't remember any of the other disciples in close range that Jesus could look them in the eye like he did Peter, the Bible says. Where are they? I mean, give Peter credit. The man did walk on water. Hello? Have you done that? I haven't done that. He was close enough with Jesus that when Jesus made eye contact with him, he was close in that trial. None of the others were around. I give Peter a hard time, but somebody pointed that out one time. I thought, well, that's true. But Peter, seeing Jesus and that whole restoration, what did Jesus tell Peter to do? He asked him, he says, do you love me? Three times. Three is a number of completion in, in Scripture. Three times he said, do you love me? And then what did Jesus say? If you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He connects love to the master to feeding the flock. And they are, remember what he says, feed my sheep. And you better be careful. That's why James says, be careful, all of you want to be teachers. Because the, the accountability in judgment is higher for the one who oversees and handles the word of God. So the feeding responsibility must be careful. And it must be under sound guidance of the Holy Spirit. But listen, you know and I know that the characteristics of the latter days is we will see that people will not tolerate sound biblical teaching. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He said there will be in the latter days those who will not endure sound teaching, but they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will essentially tickle their ears or teach them what they want to hear. And if you don't like what you hear, well, you just go down the next church down the road. 
And they'll, 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 you know, maybe that works out. And that doesn't work out, I'll stay home and watch television because you know you can just kind of get whatever you want on television. They will not endure teaching or sound doctrine. Doctrine is not a bad word. When people say, you know, we just need to get rid of doctrine and just teach Jesus. Think about that. That's really not a very sound statement. Because doctrine only is what you believe. So you say, well, let's just teach Jesus. Okay. Which Jesus do we want? Do we want the Latter-day Saint Jesus? Do we want the Kingdom Hall Jesus? Do we want the New Age Jesus? Do we want the Oprah Jesus? Do we... Doctrine defines who Jesus is. Do we want the Jesus who, well, I'm going to get, I should stay here. I should at least be here another year before I start doing that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I need to make sure those checks are deposited, Sean, so before I start getting crazy stuff. No, I'm kidding. But you get my point, is that doctrine is not a bad word. I love this quote by John Calvin who said, the pastor, the shepherd, the elder ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for driving away wolves. That's part of the shepherding process. Is sometimes the shepherd, sometimes people may even misunderstand, and, and if you do, if I say anything, even, listen, you, you, let's talk. Let's clarify, because either I said it wrong, or, or but sometimes it may just mean that you know what, this, as, as, as a shepherd, among with other shepherds in the flock, we feel like this is an unhealthy thing for our flock and our people, and we, we, we're warning you to stay away from it. We're warning you because it's a wolf. That ministry is wolf, that, that person or that doctrine, and it's unhealthy. And we're, we're saying, in, in, the, the best of our ability under the chief shepherd, we're saying, this is not good food for this flock. And the last is how the shepherd finishes. Look at verse 4. Peter <clears throat> wraps it up by saying this portion. And he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What's the reward? Big church? Nah. Listen, I was born and raised in a big church. I mean, five, 6,000 people church. Every Sunday. You name names, they more than likely were in our church or been in our home. Big church, big problems. Little church, little, little church, big problems. No, you get the idea, big is not better. Healthy is better. And if you're a healthy church of 50, blow it out for the glory of God and be healthy and get other and start more healthy churches of 50. If you're a healthy church of 5,000, great. Serve the kingdom. It's health. It's health, not size. What is the shepherd's reward? It's the same as all of our reward. It's not... What, you know, remember when Jesus was talking about fasting and prayer and all that among the Pharisees? And he said, and they have received their reward already. Because they're going after recognition, they got it. 
They'd walk around when they're fasting and make their face look pale, and you know, people would say, oh, they're so holy, they're so great, or, you know, or, you know, can, can you eat? We're going to go out and get some, you know, we're going to go out and get some, uh, no, 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 I'm fasting today, I'm, I can't do that. The Bible says when you're fasting, keep your mouth shut. I mean, not only because of eating, but don't go around bragging about it. It's bad enough, it's hard enough to fast, but it's bad enough to fast and not count when you're doing it and you're promoting it, right? When you pray, pray long prayers. I'm always suspicious of people that pray long. I think they're making up for lost praying somewhere. Long prayers in the closet, short prayers in public, right? Now you're gonna start timing me the next time I pray. I, I, know, I know the way y'all think already, see? What's our reward? Here it is. Jesus. He is our reward. I mean, the picture is that there will be that day when with those crowns that we receive, we're going to give them back because those crowns can't in any way, any way translate to what and who, just being with him and him saying, well done, church. Well done. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Stephen Alford said, Soon this life will be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. That's it. That's it. That's what we're about. When people come to Grace Church, <clears throat> I hope they're impressed with a lot of things. But above all else, when they leave here, I hope it's not, man, that worship team, they're just tight. They're just, they got it down. And those graphics, those songs, man, the media, Curtis, man, he just, he's, he's knocking it out. The seats, oh, they're so comfortable. Because, you know, sometimes people, you know, they'll choose churches for all sorts of reasons. When they leave Grace Church, what do we want to remember? Don't remember my name. You won't see my name on a lot of stuff. I'm not the franchise owner. Hello? You're not going to see my name on the letterhead, on the sign. Thank you for, but, you know, please, let's take that down, you know. That's great. I appreciate it. <laughs> I thought about that when I just insulted you for putting it out there. I'm not about permanent, see? That's not permanent. We can slide that off. Get them out of here. It's about Jesus. Let them come to here and walk out of those doors and say, what a marvelous Savior Jesus is. Isn't that, isn't that can, we, can we, you know, we hear about let's come together on common ground. <laughs> can we agree on that? It's about Him. Amen? Let's pray. And as I pray, the worship team's going to come and <clears throat> close us in. And we're probably going to sing this for a few weeks. And They're going to sing, and then I'm going to just come back and close this in a word of prayer. You can remain seated.
feet. I like that song because, you know, it's good to just have new, fresh beginnings. And just because you have a fresh beginning doesn't mean that the past was necessarily bad. It's just, it's just a refreshing, it's a renewal. Now, I know that someday they'll say, well, you know, Florida, you don't get the four seasons like you get up north. That's okay. I'm not going to complain. I can deal. I'm, but there's something about the cycle of change in seasons. And churches have seasons and growth of life. Do you think that the New Testament church at Ephesus was the same after Paul left? Do you think it was the same 10 years, 20 years? No. It grows. It, it moves. It, 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 uh, it becomes in the grace of God what God has meant it to be. Are you the same you were 10 years ago? I'm not. Thank God. Amen. Are you the same you were 10 months ago? Maybe not. We're all in process. We're all changing. Hopefully we're moving in the same direction. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for these seasons, God, that you bring into our church. And God, only you and your sovereignty know, God, this season, God, that we're in. But God, help us to always be sensitive to your spirit direction. You're the chief shepherd. And God, when you're ready to change, when you're ready to move, when you're ready to alter course, whether it's over months or it could even be in days, God, may we be people that know our shepherd's voice, be people that recognize the shepherd's voice, that are always ready to follow the direction of our chief shepherd. So, Father, we thank you for this wonderful Lord's Day. If there's anyone here, Lord, who does not know you in a personal way as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that has never met you as, as the life changer, they can make all things new. They don't know that. They only know you as maybe a flannel graph on a Sunday school wall, a video, or maybe they don't know anything. If you're here today, I hope that you'll come up and see me after the service and let me just pray with you. Let me just talk with you. Let's set up time to get together and let me tell you about Jesus. Let me just hear your story. Father, you direct us now as we leave here today. God, may this be truly a day that is the Lord's day. Thank you, God, for your blessing us with your presence and worship and the word today. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray, our chief shepherd. Amen and amen. Turn around and tell somebody that you're glad that they're here. And welcome them. God bless you. And we'll see you Wednesday night. It's a new season. It's a new day.